Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 as we continue in this series on the blessed life. We've been digging deep into the Beatitudes, understanding that the word blessed is very important for the Christian to understand and to embrace. That word, we'll talk about it again in the message, is makarios, inward satisfaction, happiness. It's a very powerful word that Jesus is using here. Let's go to Matthew 5, go down to verse number 3, and let's read the Beatitudes that we have read thus far, and then we will continue in verse number 7 with our next. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Verse number seven, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Heavenly Father, God, for a few moments, God, I need you to hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would have his way and have his will in this place. God, I know that you're here. God, we feel your presence even now as we read these beautiful verses from the mouth of Jesus preached thousands of years ago on a beautiful hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And Father, as Jesus spoke, he was changing redemptive history forever. He was putting a map in words for us, the followers, the faithful Christians to follow. And Father, today I pray that the word of God would penetrate our hearts. God, that we would be changed, that we would be different. And as your son approaches, as the day draws near, as we are in these last times, these final days of earth's existence as we know it, God, I pray for boldness in the church. God, I pray for faithfulness among the saints. God, I pray for discernment and a wisdom above our years of age and understanding. God, give us what we need. Equip us, thy people, to be your servants. God, we need you today desperately. We don't have the words. We don't have the knowledge. But God, you can, through your word, change lives today. It's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The Christian life, no doubt, is the most wonderful experience on this planet. I can't imagine what life would be on this earth without Jesus. I can't imagine what one day in this world would be without the Holy Spirit of God in my life, the comforter that came at my salvation and changed me forever. That's why this deep exploration of authentic faith is so important for practical Christian living. God did not give us this beautiful love letter in the gospels and our Bible canonized appropriately the way God wants it to be for it to be out of reach of the child of God. God takes his word at his word and we are to take his word at his word. It is a practical living book, your Bible is. 
There are deep, deep wells of truth, cool water that spring up consistently. And if you drink of this well, this beautiful well, you'll never be thirsty. You'll never know what it is to be parched spiritually if you'll simply consume the water that's found from that deep well. It is a deep well. It is a wonderful thing, but it is practical for everyday living. It's not something that you can't obtain. It's not something that you can't touch. God made this thing to where we could live for him faithfully if we would just simply drink from the well that never runs dry. The spirit that lives in us and his word in front of our face. The truth is there is a simplicity even in the depths of the truth of God's word. And the simplicity is that you desperately need it. You need this. I need it this morning. Yes, I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm on my way to heaven. Nothing will ever change that. I cannot lose my salvation. I am blood bought and I am a son of God until the day he calls me home or till he comes back for his church. Praise God for eternal security this morning. But in that eternal security, in the depths of his word, is practical, simplistic living for you and for me. So that we can, as we live in this world of sin and darkness and sorrow, bring honor and glory to God with the life that he gave us. That's why religion, ladies and gentlemen, just does not cut it. Religion can't replace what God can do in your heart, what his word can facilitate in your soul. Religion can't touch what Jesus can do to a life. You can light a billion candles. You can say a billion uh, prayers and words and repetitive things that you can find from philosophy. Those are great things and they're pretty, but at the end of the day, it will do nothing for you. You need Jesus this morning. Every single person under the sound of my voice, no matter your age, no matter your status in life, you need Jesus. We need his word. What we look at in our world is madness. It's sad. It's aggressive. There's war and rumors of war. There's death and there's dying. There's sorrow. And outside of these walls, there is a great evil spirit a dominion and power of evil that is the opposite of what we're doing here today. It's the opposite of what we hunger and thirst for today. And it is the anti to our Christ who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's alive and well in this world. Our world, if you haven't noticed, is a cruel place. This is a cruel world. This is a dangerous world that we're living in. It's a sad world. We've been watching the news, all of us, closely. We've talked about it in Operation Skywatch. There is this power-thirsty tyrant named Vladimir Putin, this self-proclaimed demigod of all Balto-Slavic people. And really, at the end of the day, this self-proclaimed demigod is nothing more than a representation of the Adamic nature of mankind. Vladimir Putin just happens to be the latest one on the list, but he is nothing more than the representation of what mankind is without the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ radically invading a person's life and changing them forever. He is just putting it on display in a global fashion, in a global way where everybody on the globe knows it and sees it. 
I submit to you that at 15 years old, at 216 Shelburne Road in the old building here where our student center is now, the night that I got saved, before I surrendered to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and God himself saved me and regenerated me, I was just as much an enemy of God as this tyrant in the East is named Vladimir Putin. It's the Adamic nature of man. This is what it looks like on display for all of us to see. The neo-tyrants of 2022 don't ride on camelback and horseback. Rather, they ride the backs of the people they oppress. That's their way. That's their strategy. Their strategy includes crushing opposition. And it really has a death grip on power and control in their perspective realms of influence. Vladimir Putin is not the greatest enemy of your soul today. The greatest enemy of your soul today is the one who is controlling, who is manipulating these tyrants of the world. And his name is Satan. He is the enemy of mankind and he is the one who is to blame. These attributes that we're seeing in our world, these are directly linked to the power thirst of satanic pride that got Lucifer and his horde expelled from heaven. It's the same principle. It's the same darkness. So when we look at all of this that's happening, what can we see in contrast to the truth of God's word and to the truth of what Jesus Christ said here in this verse? The truth is that this world offers no real mercy. The world as you know it outside these walls, apart from Jesus Christ, offers no real mercy. It's pseudo mercy. It's fake mercy. It's mercy with a facade. It always has strings attached to it. That's why the only hope for our world is not political. It's not revolutionary with finances. The only hope for this world is the person, Jesus Christ, who is the son of God. That is the only hope that we have. And what you need and what I need and what every person on this earth needs today is the grace and the mercy of God in our lives desperately. It's what we need. It's what's so wonderful about being saved. If you're here today and you're blood-bought, born again on your way to heaven, God has been merciful for, to you. And what's wonderful about that mercy that his children live in is that it never runs out. It never runs dry. There's never an absence or a shortage of his mercy. The Bible tells me when I get up out of the bed in the morning that his grace and that his mercy pursues me. It follows me. It comes after me. I don't have to go looking for it. I don't have to call my priest. I don't have to light a candle. That mercy is there waiting for me every day. That's part of the benefit package that you receive the moment that you got saved. The mercy of God. So when we look at this world and we look at all the madness and we look at the second coming of Christ being so imminent, what is it that Christians should do? Do we become angry? Do we act in violence towards people who represent? No, 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 no. The Bible's clear. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And then he lists the four levels of satanic government that we are fighting against. 
Christians, listen to the words coming out of my mouth. The fight today is not physical. The fight today is spiritual. And you are the soldiers. You're on the front line. You're on the battle. And it is time for us to understand who it is we are through Christ to be able to withstand the evil and the darkness of this day. And what we need is mercy. Christians look at the world and its madness and how merciless it is. And then we must do this. Be surely secure to the person of Christ and recall the mercy of God in our own lives. The mercy of God in our own lives. The mercy of God is personal to each and every one of his children. The mercy of God is wonderful. The mercy of God is bountiful. The mercy of God is beautiful. And it's what we need today. So when facing the cruelty, the injustice, the pain and the war of this world, we have to be the representative of mercy to a world that doesn't know what mercy is. It's your job. It's my job. Jesus said that you are the salt. You are the light. You're the difference maker. You're to be in this world the difference between their mercy and what Christ's mercy is. Justice was the heart and the soul of the law. We can read what the law was. We can embrace what the law was. But justice was at the heart and the soul of the law. And mercy, thank God, is the heart and the soul of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot go to the gospel of Jesus Christ and embrace it in its, in its entirety without embracing the mercy of God. And he who shows no mercy destroys the bridge over which he himself must pass. Be merciful. And you'll receive mercy, Jesus said. Mercy is an attribute to God himself. And if you take all of these beatitudes that we have read thus far, it's summarized best in this. What we've seen in these beatitudes are happy, makarios, inwardly satisfied, are the spiritually poor, godly mourners who are meek in their ways and whom hunger and thirst after righteousness for when they are filled with his righteousness, then they shall demonstrate mercy to other people who also do not deserve mercy. Being merciful is part of your sanctification process. You are sanctified, you are justified at salvation. But sanctification grows. You grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Your heart is exposed to more truth. You live more life. You see God do more incredible things. And you grow in his word. You grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the more you grow, the more you'll see God's mercy towards you for what it really was. The more you grow, you'll see just what it was you were before Christ and just what it is you are after his mercy bestowed upon you. And then when you see God for who he is and you for what you were and you see and understand the mercy he gave you freely that you could not earn, that you could not pay for, that he gave freely to you, then you will begin to understand that you are obligated as a representative, a child of God, to be different with people around around you and to them be a glimmer and be a hope of mercy in this world of darkness and pain. That's how this works. But Jesus starts this whole process with poverty. 
It's poverty. We're all poor, spiritual beggars. Remember, that's why he started there. There's nothing inside of me that I can conjure up to replace the mercy of God. There's nothing I can do. There's no prose I can recite. There's no book I can read other than God's word to understand what mercy is. I have no power. I have nothing in my possession that can replace or alter the desperate need in my life for the mercy of God bestowed upon my life. I don't have it. Just like the woman who reached for the hem of his garment. She couldn't heal herself, this woman with the issue of blood. She couldn't heal herself. There was nothing within herself that she could do to fix her problem, to heal herself. If she could have healed herself, if there was something that she possessed or that she could go by, she would have done so. But because she knew it was nothing she had in her possession, nothing she could fix on her own, she pressed through the crowd just to touch the hem of his garment. And that's exactly what you need today. And it's exactly what I need today is a touch from God. I need his mercy. I need his grace. I need his wisdom. I need his love. I need the peace that he brings. I need God. I don't need more of me. I need less of me and more of him. But as I pray that prayer of John 3.30, that I would decrease, that God would grow, and that I would grow in the grace and the knowledge of God, what I am praying then is a prayer of death. Death to myself, death to my flesh, minimization of my desires and more of what God wants and who God wants from me. In other words, at the end of the day, the mercy that God gave to me is not mine to choose where and how to wield it, but it is who I am now as a child of God. It changes everything. To be merciful is to show forgiveness and compassion to those people in need. Jesus frequently spoke of mercy. Matthew 6, 12, the Lord's Prayer, he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In Matthew 9, 13, Jesus instructed the Pharisee, but go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We are blessed if we are merciful because mercy is something that God himself displays. God's mercy is the withholding. Listen to me. God's mercy is the withholding of just punishment that I deserved. God's mercy is him withholding the punishment and the wrath that I deserved. And in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on my cross, he looked with pity upon me and looked at the shed blood of his son, Jesus, as a substitute for what I could not do on my own. And he pardoned me because of the shed blood of Christ applied to my life. That is mercy on great and high display. 
I did not deserve it. I did not earn it. Yet in love and compassion, he was merciful to me and made a way for me to come out of my humanity, to come out of my darkness, to come out of my condition and to have eternal life. And while living and waiting for my transport to my heavenly home, give me enough grace and give me enough mercy to make it in this life. That is compassion and mercy of God. Deuteronomy 30 verse 3 says that the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee. The psalmist writes in Psalm 28, 6, Blessed be the Lord, because he hath heard the voice of my supplication. That's the nature of God towards his children. Imagine that, that God himself would care about the desire of your heart. That he would listen to the supplications. That he would know who you are and what your pain is and what your struggle is and what's causing you anxiety and what's causing you to feel like you don't fit in. God knows all about it and the Bible says that he turns an ear to even listen. He cares for even you and for me. That's the nature of God. That's more of his mercy on display that a three times holy God would care about me. Praise the Lord for that. Sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we somehow make that a cliche that we're sons and daughters of God. In this world, you better hold on tightly, gripped tightly to the fact that you're a child of God. You're not a loser. You're not a quitter. You're not going to be overcome. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live anxious. In God's mercy, he gives you identity. In God's mercy, he gives you purpose. In God's mercy, he sustains you. Praise God, I'm a child of God. And I live in his mercy. And until the church embraces this, we'll find ourselves in a place lacking. It'll make us not as blunt and as sharp as we need to be for the fight. We won't share our faith. We won't be who we're supposed to be. You need to embrace who you are. Or the enemy will tell you who you are. And that'll be a lie. But this is the nature of God towards his children. Mark 5, 19. There's an incredible story there. Jesus, howbeit Jesus suffered him not. This is a story of a man who's possessed of the devil. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends. And tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Jesus casts out the devil. He restores the man. And then he gives the man the charge. He was the first one to hear that we're salt and light. Before Jesus even told us in his word that we were salt and light, he told this man who he touched and cast out the demon. Now go tell people what God did for you. Church, that's what we have to be. That's part of showing mercy to the world is by us saying out loud with our mouths and in the way we live our lives that Jesus did something for us. That's the church. That is the mercy of God. I love what Romans 11.30 says. It says, For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. We have received God's mercy. It's not Baptist mercy. It's not Winston mercy. It's not Ralph mercy. It's God's mercy that was bestowed upon us. 
It's powerful. Paul shared that his ministry was given to him by God's mercy. 2 Corinthians 4.1, seeing therefore we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we thanked not. You can be strong, you can be courageous, you can live this life with your head up, with your eyes fixed on the cross of Jesus because God gave you mercy and in his mercy you can find confidence to faint not. Even in the midst of what's happening in our world, you don't have to be afraid. That is the mercy of our God. Your salvation is so intertwined, mixed up, and intertwined with mercy. 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.13. Who was before a blasphemer? Paul's talking about himself. Listen to this testimony. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious? But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Peter talked about mercy in 1 Peter 1, 3. He said, blessed be God, our father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You do not serve a God with a little bit of mercy. You do not serve a God with an expiration date on mercy. You do not serve a God with mercy that's limited in capacity. You serve a God according to God's word that has mercy abundant enough for every person in the room, every person watching, every person in the Ukraine, every person in Africa, every person that's ever been born. God is merciful. And it's abundant mercy. It's abundant mercy. Do you see why we can live with confidence? Do you see why we can have a shout in our voice? Do you see why we can shed a tear and raise a hand and say, thank you God for what you gave me in your mercy. Are you starting to understand what it is we have to be and who it is we have to be in these last days? We have to know who it is we are through and by Jesus Christ. So this is the grace and the mercy that God has bestowed upon us. Now that we have received that mercy, we've received that grace in our salvation. What does it do to us? What does it do to you? Now that you see this grace and this mercy, what does it do to you? What does it compel you to live as? How does it compel you to live? If you are truly saved and born again and this same mercy was bestowed upon you, then how does it cause you to live? Where is your understanding of God's mercy? And how is it shown in the way you live? Three ways you can show mercy today. Three ways you can show mercy practically today. And this is very practical in the way we live our lives with people. God loves people. I'm thankful he loves people. God loves the church. I'm thankful I get to be a part of the church. But how we treat other people, listen to me now, how we treat other people will speak to how we appreciate the mercy 
that God gave to us. The first way you can be merciful in your life practically every day is shown in your motivations. Mercy shown in your motivations. You can show mercy in your actions and in your words towards other people. What motivated you to say what you said? What motivated you to do what you did? They might have been in the wrong. They might have done you an injustice. But were you more concerned with being right? Or were you concerned with an opportunity to be Christ to someone? If we'll stop being in love with ourselves and being in love with that feeling of being right all the time and instead embrace a humble spirit of Christ and say, God, I know that I'm right, but I want them to see you more than I want to be right. Help me to show them mercy in the way that I speak to them and in the actions I commit towards them. Be merciful in your motivations towards other people. The second is demonstrated in your assumptions. You can be merciful in your assumptions of people. What you see when you see a person is not the complete story. What you see when you meet someone, when you see someone walking in, you have but a fraction of the information of their life. You don't know what's going on in the midnight hour of their life. You don't know what their week's been like. And if you're going to live as a Christian in authentic faith and embrace what Christ is teaching, then you must demonstrate mercy in your assumptions of people. Just because they don't look the way you think they should look does not make you more important to God. God loves them just as much as he loves you. God loves the preacher man just as he, much as he loves the person on the back row this morning. That is who our God is. The ground at the foot of the cross is very level ground this morning. God is not a, a respecter of people and persons. It is the grace and the mercy of God that any of us will see heaven, that any of us have anything in this world. And when we meet people, greet people, live with people, go to church with people, we must be merciful in our assumptions of their lives. We don't have the whole story. Be merciful in developing your opinion of people. You may have heard something about that person from someone else, but be merciful and obtain your own opinion. Grow your own opinion. Ask God to help you be a good friend to that person instead of assuming the worst, putting up the fence and not showing Christ. Thirdly, you can show mercy displayed in your acceptance of people. As I said, just remember, you're not more important to God than they are. You say, well, they're a, they're a drunk, a homeless person coming off the street. Do you realize where you were before Jesus came to you? Do you realize what sins were held against you that God was going to have to judge and that you were going to have to spend an eternity in hell for before Jesus radically changed your life? You were no different than they were. Be merciful in your acceptance. 
Jeremiah talks about the human heart. It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all. And sometimes we allow ourselves to be friendly, to be accepting, and even change the way we are around certain people. I know it's quiet this morning. But our human emotion and human heart, our motivation, it's so wicked at the core that we'll change the way we treat people with this question in mind. What do I get out of the relationship? What did God get out of the relationship with you? When he got me, he got a sinner who needed grace and mercy, who needed a new name and who needed his free gift of eternal life. Mercy can be displayed in how you accept people not saying you don't have any guardrails. I'm not saying you have, don't have limitations and borders to your personal and private life. But I'm talking when you are in a public setting, in a public place, in the house of God, and someone approaches you or someone walks in that you've never seen before. Ask God to help you be like Jesus and display in your acceptance towards them the mercy of God. Luke chapter 10, and this is where we'll close this morning. Luke chapter 10. Those three are practical, everyday, internal mercies. But in Luke chapter 10, I want to be very quick here. Go to verse number 30. This parable, these are the words of Jesus yet again. And if you back up in verse 25, this is a Pharisee or a lawyer asking Jesus a question. And Jesus answers this question starting in verse number 30. But inside of this parable of the Good Samaritan are four pillars or four features of mercy. Verse number 30 says, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. Means he just walked by him. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Yet again, he's passed up. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave it to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three? Thinkest thou, Jesus is asking the Pharisee, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. Four features of mercy. Number one, it sees distress. A heart of mercy sees the distress of other people. Church, we've got to pay attention to those who are around us. It's so easy for us to get caught up in today's world and technology and vacations and social media and making a gain and growing and 
doing life. Sometimes we get so busy, we don't pay attention. We don't even care enough to look around and notice that there are people laying on the road half dead. That there are people who are wounded who need help. And if you're going to live as Jesus commands us to live, to be merciful, then merciful people must see the distress of others. You've got to pay attention to your brothers and sisters in Christ. God may be putting you in their place to be their good Samaritan, to be their healer, to be their encourager. That's what being part of the family of God is. And then when we're outside of these walls and we're in a lost and dying world and you see someone who is in distress, be Christ to them. Be the ambassador of mercy and grace to them and show them that there is hope, not for vainglory, not for your reputation, but for the cause of Christ and the fact that that is a soul that will spend eternity somewhere. Mercy sees distress. Secondly, mercy responds internally with a heart of compassion towards that person in need. This is a heart thing, ladies and gentlemen. If your heart today is not right with God, it will be very difficult for you to be merciful to people around you and people in this world who desperately need mercy. That's why your walk of faith, your walk of authentic faith with Jesus Christ is vital. You must be right with God and you must be right with man because God is depending on us to be the salt and to be the light. Mercy not only sees distress, but mercy responds internally from a clean heart. God, I remember that that was me. Thank you for what you did for me. Now, how can I be a blessing, a representative and an ambassador of you to this person in distress? That's the heart of mercy. Thirdly, it responds externally with a practical effort to relieve the distress. Verse number 34 says, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil, pouring in wine. Then he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. It's one thing to notice. It's another thing to act. And what we need are godly people shored up in the word of God who are merciful in the way they live towards other people and that when we see a need when we see a problem that we act it's one thing just to say oh well they they really need some help it's another for you to get off your horse pick them up bind their wounds pour in your oil that costs money pour in your wine that costs money bound up their wounds that takes time and effort it's personal it can be dirty getting down there to where they are, but that's where they need to be loved the most. You can't say, hey, the end's right down here. Get up and go on. You'll be fine. Some people are so broken by this world. Some people are so robbed of joy and happiness by this world that you're literally gonna have to pick them up off the road and say, it's going to be okay. There's a God in heaven who loves you. And if there's anything this world is teaching us is that it is cruel and it is vile. And there is coming before us a generation of people and young people and people in their 60s and 70s that the past two years have stripped them of any confidence they have in God. They've stripped them of their robust faith and they're laying on a road and they need help. 
because God was gracious and merciful to you, he's going to give you an opportunity to get off your horse of comfort, to get down on the dirt of this life with them and pick them up and say it's going to be okay. It requires action. And lastly, mercy acts even when the person in distress is an enemy. Even when it's someone you don't care for politically. Even when it's someone who you don't understand how they see the world the way they see it. The mercy of God is bestowed upon people who don't see the world the way you see it. The mercy of God in the Christian's life is bestowed upon the person who would yell and scream at you, but now is in a broken place and needs help. You see, this Samaritan, he should have not been the person to act. This Jew that had been robbed and had been stripped away of his remnant, who had been hurt, who had been wounded. The times of that day, a Samaritan was seen as a half-breed. They were seen as a lesser human. The Jews wouldn't eat with them. They wouldn't share utensils with them. The Levite came and he walked right by him. The priest came and he walked right by him. But this low-life, half-breed Jew, Samaritan, was the one that stopped. And ladies and gentlemen, in a world full of hate and a world full of vitriol and pain and sorrow and suffering, when you look at someone in the eye who hates you and hates your God and you show them the grace and the mercy of your God, it is the most Christ-like thing you could possibly do for the honor and for the glory of God. Their minds are blind. They don't see the world the way you see it. They don't see politics the way you see it. They don't see freedom the way you see it. But they need Jesus. Be merciful to them and show them Christ. Mercy shows mercy even when the person is an enemy. Mercy has an eye for distress, a heart of pity. Mercy has an effort to help. And it's an effort to help in spite of hostility. So my question this morning to you is this. Who in your life needs to receive from you mercy? Is it a friend? Is it a relative? Is it a coworker? Who needs to see that display of mercy from you? God gives us opportunities. He gives us relationships. And Christians should take those opportunities to represent Christ to everyone that comes in contact with our lives. The mercy that God gave to me was not cheap. And the mercy that God granted to me demands gratitude. I should be thankful for the mercy that God gave me. I should be thankful for the mercy that God gave me. From a heart of thanksgiving, I should raise a hand and say, God, thank you for the mercy you bestowed upon my life. And remember this, when you choose to reject someone of mercy, there's two types of people you're rejecting mercy to. Number one, if you choose not to show mercy, it could be one of God's children, a saved person. 
that God expects you to treat with mercy and you refuse them mercy. Be careful how you treat the family of God. Be very cautious of how you treat one of God's children. Every time you cut them off from mercy, you spit in his face and you show how much you really appreciate the grace and the mercy he gave you. It speaks volumes of who we are. The second type of person may be a lost person. God in his infinite wisdom and in his sovereignty and his plan, God knew that you're a saved person. God knew that you're a son. God knew that you're a daughter. And he put that lost person in your path so that you could be the ambassador of mercy to them for Christ's sake. It could be their eternity that's on the line. And when you reject them mercy, it could be that when we get home to heaven and we give an account for everything that was done here, we'll have to explain the blood that was on our hand because we refused mercy. I want to be what Jesus wants me to be. And Jesus requires of Winston Parish, the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church, a husband, a future father. He is wanting to me to be merciful to other people. Who needs your mercy today? Let's stand all over the building. The altars are open. You're able to come and pray at any time. Is there anyone that would be man enough, woman enough, every head bowed, every eye closed? You'd say, Pastor, as you preached, God put a situation or a person on my heart this morning and I've got some mercy to show. I've got some relationships to fix. I need to give God some things that have been bothering me. And I need to show mercy. Is there anyone here, man enough or woman enough to raise your hand? I see your hand. I see your hand. Hands all over the building. Is there anyone that's here today and say, Pastor, I have someone specifically on my heart that I know needs the mercy of God. They're lost and undone without Jesus. And they need his mercy. Would you just raise your hand? There's someone in your family, a friend, a co-worker that's lost and undone that you want to pray for today. Hands all over the building. I'll keep your hands up. If you have a lost loved one, a lost friend, now everyone look around. Look around this room. Look at all the hands up. People who are lost and need a Savior. Here's what I want us to do. Those that raised your hand first, I want you to come and pray. The pastors and the deacons will come and pray with you. And then those of you that raised your hand, here's my challenge. I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to open up an opportunity for you to share the good news of Jesus, the mercy and the grace that he bestowed upon you that they could see Christ and who he is. And I would invite you, if you raised your hand this morning and you're serious about God saving them and doing a work in their life, I want you to come pray for them right now. Come pray, call their name before God in faith believing. This might be your person for March 20th on Friend Day. We need to pray and ask God to do the work now to prepare their heart for the good news, the message that's gonna be preached on that Sunday. Let's come and pray, do business with God. Miss Amber's gonna sing.
please continue to pray in the altar. I want every head bowed, every eye closed, no one moving unless you're sick or have to go to work. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice? Be man enough or woman enough to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. I'd hate for you to be in a service like this and not get things settled with the Lord. Is there anyone here? I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. I feel a special burden for an adult in this room. I don't know who you are. I don't know what your burden or issue is. Would you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to call your name out. Would you just be man enough, woman enough to raise your hand? I want to pray. I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. Just make eye contact with me or raise your hand. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we've preached the word as you put it on our heart. God, we've done what you have told us to do. Father, now I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would do the work. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would begin to plant the seed. God, we know that it's you that gives the increase. We know that it's you that does the drawing, the saving, the cleansing. It's your power that we need here today. Lord, for every person that's here in this altar that's praying for a lost friend, a lost loved one, I pray that in the name of Jesus, that walls would become crumbled, that chains would be broken, that callous hearts would begin to change, that the Holy Ghost of God would begin to do the work in those people's hearts in their lives. God, we believe because of the authority of your word that you are able to save each person represented in this altar today. And we ask you humbly in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Ghost, save our friends save our families save our co-workers save our acquaintances give us a harvest in these last days for thy glory and for thy sake now prepare your church to be the people God give us a backbone of steel give us feet that are firmly securing your word be able to stand in the face of evil and darkness and be the church of which the gates of hell shall not prevail strengthen us thy people in Jesus' name, we believe all these things. We place it back in your capable hands. Amen.